Hello and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Marbo's most unprincipled work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about Vanishing Points 8.6. We're in Verona's head again, and Verona and the crew are preparing to go home. They're packing up so they can leave right after the Fae field trip, which will also (laughs) be happening very shortly. Although the chapter didn't say that they were still going on the ferry. I I, I don't know. Maybe it was just me. I managed to convince myself while Bo was maybe going to, like, skip it, and I was devastated. (laughs) No, we get there pretty quick, and it's hectic. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, I love how the start of this chapter, though, is basically just everyone complaining about how much of a Verona is, finding her (laughs) socks in all kinds of random places. I, I, I was kind of thinking about it and trying to think, like, is this hinting at something? Is this indicating a, a wider character flaw. I and mean, we already know Verona can be careless or, or maybe express a lack of caution about some things, especially with the practice. And this is kind of another general lack of care kind of beat. So maybe that's what we're getting into. I, I, I'm not super sure. Yeah, I, I think it's just kind of early on establishing, like she's going to bounce off Raquel later in the chapter, obviously. Mm. Um and, and I think it's just, like, early on in this chapter, just sort of re-establishing that Verona just doesn't care about those things like most people do. Like, like you yeah. know, like, like, you know, whether it's, yeah, keeping things in order, like, you know, she, she's much more interested in, yeah, being the other. It reminds me that there's, like, that quote from Spider-Man about how, what, it's like, brilliant men never have clean rooms or something that Aunt May says. <laughs> Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Anyway, it's but like I that. Believe like, it. I think it, it's it's just you know it's the same way Verona doesn't take care of her body. Like she just doesn't focus on those things. I think, and and I think we're reestablishing that because we're going to use it later in the uh, in the chapter. Mm. Um, mm. There's also the moment where Lucy, because uh, th- they they end up start talk to start talking about like how they're all doing, and Verona says she's fine. And Lucy's like, I think your judgment of how you are, how okay you are, is a little suspect, Ronnie. <laughs> yes, definitely. It's just, what's the opposite of gain said? Like, because that's that's so true. Yeah, she deserves a power boost. It's, it's so true. She should gain <laughs> karma from it. <laughs> yeah, no, um, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's what's really fun for me in this first chunk of the chapter is like as they're packing, there's all these friendship moments. Like, obviously, Snowdrop has her hilarious t-shirt based prank that she does. Mm-hmm. Um. And then there's also these, like, yeah, serious moments. Like, you know, Verona asks Avery how she is. And Avery's like, oh, thanks for asking. That's not very you. And then Verona actually responds to this thing from Lucy. Like, Lucy's like, yeah, well, my therapist says uh, just exploding out in a burst of emotion uh, doesn't actually fix the problem. And Verona sort of takes a second. She's like, that actually does explain my dad. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> that feels like the first step towards Verona not doing that anymore. Mm. Um. So, like, yeah, like encouraging little emotional moments mixed in with yeah, stupid snowdrop and cherry pop shenanigans. Uh, it, it's it's a very fun vibe. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff. Um. Yeah, I mean, yeah, cherry pop is around, which is obviously great. Uh, everyone's favorite character is back. She's not really. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't really have any active role in either this or the next chapter, which is kind of sad. This is the most we get of her. Um. Sad because, of course, she is the best character. I'm assuming she would probably wear out her welcome eventually, but it hasn't happened yet. So, <laughs> more cherry pop, please, Bo, if you're listening. <laughs> yep, uh, it's just a good thing she's actually coming back to Kennet. Um, 
Yeah, I agree. Like, I I do think Cherry Pop's maybe one of those characters who is best used sparingly. Mm. (laughs) Because I I love her, but it's definitely, you could see how if she was around all the time, it'd be like, shut up, you're not important. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm 50-50 on whether that would happen or whether you would just want her to be around the entire time. (laughs) Well, if she was around the entire time, I think the thing is she'd have to start to have her own character arc. And what is... What is Cherry Pop's character arc? We talked about Cherry Pop becoming the Carmine Beast. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, but what does that mean to her as a person? Like, let's let's step inside her mind space. Um, yeah, let's Alcazar Cherry Pop for a few arcs. That should be fun. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. I just want more Cherry Pop, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, Fren is tidying here and is obviously sad that they're about to go home. She is also thinking about hor- how horrible... Uh, it has recently been at the Blue Heron Institute without seemingly those two thoughts contradicting in her head, which is fun. Classic Verona realizing, oh, this has been horrible in the past few days, but also I don't want to leave. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, she she's going back to her dad. Like, well, yeah, true. It's not like um, anything's that much better back home, huh? But yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think this is just the thing for Verona is she, like there are these parts of the school that she really, really likes, and it just kind of sucks that you can't have one without the other like she wants her hogwarts where it's mm. just doing fun magic shit all the time and i guess she's just lamenting the fact that yeah she, like, she's losing that as much as she's losing all of this toxic bullshit mm. yeah yeah um it's interesting i mean yeah we the there are many beats throughout this chapter of verona demonstrating that lucy's words are very true that she has not really processed anything at all um <laughs> yeah um so yeah, uh, there's uh, this moment between Nina, the librarian animus, and Verona as well, which is so good, um, especially because I feel like with Verona being as gung-ho about the practice as she is, we, d- we don't get that many opportunities to recognize that she is just as much of like a pro-other uh, personhood campaigner as the, the rest of the Kenneteers. Um, but this scene just reinforces that, no, she's obviously very chill and thinks that others are people as well so uh yeah it's just nice to get that i guess yeah like as somebody who you know doesn't have like a a, a label or something that causes her to get targeted by society as directly um she's often not as prominent in that regard but like yeah she, like, i mean that is as well her superpower is how she just will give anyone a chance assuming it's like their personality isn't terrible mm. um I mean, I love I love this moment with Nina as a way to kind of capture the vibe of of what Verona's doing here because it's like because the library is uh, like, like the library is the Hogwartsy part of of the school right like this is the one part that was sort of un- unequivocally good you could mm. say yes. library fucking rules especially yeah there, there was nothing bad that ever happened in these library walls exactly and and Nina is kind of that as an other like everybody fucking loves Nina Nina's done nothing wrong. Um, and so it's sort of like Nina is the personification of Verona saying goodbye to yes. this aspect of the school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, but the, Nina does say Zed might come and visit. And if she does, she'd probably be with him. So that's encouraging, I think. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's something worth pointing out as we go through this and the next chapter is like, obviously it feels like a solid goodbye to the Blue Heron Institute. It feels like we're wrapping up the Blue Heron Institute probably for good in the story, right? Mm. Although I don't think I, I do think we'll hopefully get some characters coming into the f- conclusion of this story. Yeah, 
it's pretty clear we're saying goodbye to most of the characters in the BHI for good, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, which is sad. I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I'd be very surprised if the finale didn't involve bringing, like, a group of these characters back. Yeah. Like, like uh, Nicolette and Zed seem Yeah, like we know Ray has an appointment bets. to visit as well, although that's probably going to be... I don't know. It could be before, it could be after the summer deadline. Um, yeah. And then, like, I guess we'll get to it, but we have a kind of a farewell of sorts to America and Liberty, and I'm sad about that. I hope they come back. Yeah. They're the sorts of ones where I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see that going either way. Like, yeah. yeah. But what, whereas, like, yeah, people like Nicolette, Zed, even like maybe Clem, I'd say, feel, feel like the same yep. bets for people who show up for the finale. Yeah. Sharon, Grig. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose that's the other thing, right? We're not just listing off people who might show up to the finale as uh, allies. There's potentially enemies yeah, who true. show up for the finale too. There, it does still um, feel like, even at the end of the next chapter, and maybe we're jumping ahead a bit, but whatever, it does still feel like there's unresolved hatred, I guess, with some of the students that might manifest or might not. Yeah, like if Yadira showed up on the other side at the end of all this, it wouldn't blow my mind. You know? Yeah, I, I guess that's one of the strengths of Wild Boys writing that we don't talk about that much is I could see him demonstrating a convincing and solid and something that I'd be excited for, a, a way to tie in almost any BHI character that we've seen into mm-hmm. the resolution of this story. And what that means is he leaves himself so many open avenues for finding ways that he can connect thematically students into the finale in ways that we can't even imagine right now or and maybe he hasn't even imagined right now but will kind of emerge as the finale crystallizes which i think is great yeah uh yeah he seems to be really really good in his stories at like planting seeds everywhere that he can you know bring to flower when he so chooses yes it, it reminds me of and is a great technique to use when you're uh dming or, or running like a tabletop role-playing game because you can kind of set up characters that are interesting from single situations and then see how they might come back into stories as your players kind of define where you're going right um Mm. and we might talk about that a bit later (laughs) (laughs) um anywho (laughs) anywho uh so yeah the group uh, prepares to go on the trip and they get paired off by estrella um we get our pairs allocated, uh, and obviously for this chapter, the important pair is Rona, who is paired with Raquel Musk. Yeah, I, I mean, Omega, speaking of, like, Wild Bo's ability to plant seeds for himself, like, this is just, this is such a fun premise. Like, Wild Bo's come up with a way, sort of, in the story to be like, hey, we need to put people with, like, their opposites or people they're going to bounce yeah. off of in really fun ways, because that's important. For them to survive here so like it, it, again it, like this is what the other verse is great for is Wilbur just gets to do something like this and have it make sense in the world um like what a fantastically natural way to just easily inject inject so much like character work and drama yeah yeah definitely um yeah no for sure <laughs> it's it's perfect like the I mean we'll hit this beat I, I I can't remember exactly what it was but I had some notes about this a bit later as well of just like it's great how much the other of us could take these things and just make them so so literal. It's awesome. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like like Wabo, you, you could sort of almost see the process of thinking. Well, the fairy are great at sort of manipulating these minor things. So you know, what if I have to make everyone be, you know, very blunt? It's like, well, what's the easy way to do that? Put them with people who they're gonna 
like not really gel with naturally like it's yeah mm. it's so great and then like you know we like because this this whole thing is spearheaded by estrella as well and we we get some interesting stuff on her here because they're kind of talking about her as you know potential future teacher and all that mm. and I guess the weird thing is, is like Lucy and the others all seem to be pretty pro Estrella. Yeah. And did that did that jump out as weird to you? Like, I don't know. That seemed weird to me. That she's immediately kind of earned the trust of the Kenneteers. But just, there's even one point where Lucy's like, oh, I like how she handled things the other night, mm. which I think is referring to the night that she like had them imprisoned and let them go in exchange for the boob stab. But yeah, like. I guess my read on Estrella's motives there was she was just, like, lazy. Like, it wasn't her taking any kind of stand, like her saying, uh, Bristow's not good enough to be worth this. It was more just nothing is worth this. Like, so I, I don't know. I came out of that encounter very much thinking, oh, Estrella's just, uh, like, lazy slash self-centered. And, like, Lucy seems to... Yeah, I almost wondered if there's some Winter Fae shenaniganery bullshit going on here because i was like i don't know that just wasn't my read at all mm, interesting yeah i don't know what to make of it i i kind of found myself being in the same vibe where like she's a senior student she's been trusted with this there's obviously other senior students around like feels like she's she's on good behavior here so i didn't really i don't know i kind of just immediately assumed yep she's she's good she's a goodie you know yeah, I mean, she does well here, sure, it's just, yeah, just particularly that read where we compliment how she was the other night that jumped out to me as like, oh, that wasn't my read on that situation. Mm. Mm. Um, so is it, I guess it's worth us touching on the other pairs. Uh, we get Lucy and Timon Leos, and Zed seems to be nervous about that, although nothing really eventuates from that pair that we see, right? Yeah, because this has been like a recurring thing since we got here in Arc 4, is Zed is always like, watch out for those Leos siblings, you know, they're, yeah, they're bad you know, news. They're, they're, their practice is super gross. But yeah. um, specifically, Lucy's had like five or six, I want to say, moments of bouncing off these guys in the story so far, like, mm. and they've always seemed fine. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been anything where I've been like, oh, let's be really worried about them, at the very least, you know? Yeah, like, well, and, like, you know, back in the night against Bristow, like, uh, you know, Georgia doing the um, tranquilizer truce and stuff was pretty clutch. Like, it's just interesting that we, we keep getting warnings about them, and I think if you objectively look at what their practice is, it's fucking gross. So I, I get it. Yeah, you get why you'd be nervous about them yeah for sure it's just it's just weird because that doesn't gel with i feel like every time lucy seems to do it the most but any of the kenneteers have interacted with these three leos siblings they've been nice mm. so yeah god i must i'm i'm adding them to my list of people we i hope to see again because they're just they're a bit of an enigma at the moment i'm like i'm not sure what to make of them yeah there's all this stuff telling us not to trust them but they seem fine they seem okay they seem chill <laughs> yeah Interesting. I mean, maybe they'll come back for the finale. Who knows? Um, <laughs> then, of course, Avery gets paired with Fernanda, which is primo. Uh, but we will obviously be diving into that next chapter much more. Yeah, it's uh, at the moment it happens. You're like, oh, this is a gift, um, and it I, surprisingly pays off in all the ways you want. <laughs> like, I didn't expect it to get so into like 
you know, I mean, spoiler alert, but Fernanda flat out asks Avery if she's got a cross on her at one point, which is like, <laughs> I'm assuming exactly what Verona would have wanted to happen from this. <laughs> yeah, but uh, like one of my favorite moments about this is when it's sort of like Avery and Fernanda, Avery sort of immediately turns to Verona and is like, don't fucking say anything. Mm. And uh, there's this, this quote, which is like, Verona threw up her hands, the picture of innocence. And it's like, mm. oh yeah, I'm fucking yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, exactly. Fucking practice. The uh, protagonist bias right there. I'm sure she had the hugest grin on her face. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's great. It's good stuff. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, well, then we get our bit with. Um, there's this bit when Nicolette uh, touches on hoping to have a word in private. I wrote down the note when I first read this chapter of like, what could this possibly be? I think we get that question answered by the by next chapter, yeah. right? So I was actually going to say, I don't think it's just talking about the interview stuff, the interrogation, like Verona seems to think it was, but it turns out to more or less be that, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, this is a line that's thrown in there to just stew in the readership between these two yeah. chapters coming yeah. out in a very fun way. Yeah, um, but we'll get to that when it unravels, I guess. Um, There's Verona, also... Mm. Oh, Sorry, there's almost so much fun, uh, like, character work missing here. Like, I don't want to just start calling out every bit, but, like, whenever we get these big groups like this now, there's there's just moments I almost want to call out from everyone. Like, like little mm. details, like, Estrella seems to have this obsession with Christmas over the chapter, which is just fun, because, mm. um, like, she's the winter fae person, of course, she fucking loves Christmas. Mm. Um Nicolette has this one line about how she doesn't take baths, which just sure. took me a second yep. to get. And then I was like, oh, I hate that I laughed at that. But it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's rough. That's so mean. That's her trauma, Elliot. Come on. <laughs> but the way she delivers it, she just sort of, she just slips it. She's just like, I don't take baths. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's the fact that it took me a, a second monster. to pass what she meant. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> It's terrible. Um, yeah. So then there's this weird bit where uh, Verona and Raquel are kind of bouncing back and forth, but obviously not bonding a huge amount. And then there's this weird kind of non sequitur about Raquel where it's, and Verona flags it as well, which feels like it's a call out that we need to kind of dive into a bit, but I don't really have anything to say about it. Um, effectively, it's it's Raquel saying, uh, a non sequitur segueing from them talking about how they're not really bonding and how they need to, to Raquel segueing into just fairy making her nervous, which is not quite a connection that Verona picks out. Yeah, I, I think I think this is just our first sign of something that we see a lot in this and with like Avery thinks on the same thing next chapter. It's just Estrella has put people together who are just wired differently and can't find a rhythm. So mm-hmm. like there's so many moments, and well, you can tell if we were seeing this from Raquel's head, or we were seeing next chapter from Fernandez, it'd probably be the same thing where, like, it would just feel like non sequiturs all the time because they just think so differently that they're not connecting those thoughts on on their side as well. Mm. Like, I, I I think for Raquel, this this feels like just a thing where Raquel tries to like have a a, a sort of simple, you know, water cooler conversation. Because the fairy make her nervous and she's maybe just like looking for, for sort of casualness. Whereas like mm. Verona's response is to start making like <clears throat> scandalous jokes, which like pisses Raquel off. Mm. So 
yeah, yeah. I, I think it, my read on it is just uh, they've been picked, they've been put together specifically because their thoughts won't align like this, and this is just the first instance of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> True. Good stuff. Yeah, it, it it's interesting because I mean, I mean, we don't. Estrella talks about putting people together who just don't gel super well, right? But yeah. Rona and both Rona and Avery, I think, try to read into it a bit more than that. We don't really get if there's any more going on. But I'm interested to find out your thoughts on this when we get to a next chapter. Avery and Fernanda, I think, have a weirdly similar view on the world, which I want to dive into when we get there. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And yeah, 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 yeah uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. But just, it's, I mean, it is just funny that Raquel and Rona just are so not <laughs> gelling. And it's not like, they're not being aggressive to each other. Everything they try just doesn't work to b- make them bond, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I love this moment where they fail to fail the Bechdel test. Mm. Like, like Raquel yes. reaches this point where she's like, I mean, we could talk about boys, but like, is there really, are we already that desperate? And Verona's like, I don't really like talking about that anyway. <laughs> and Raquel's just sort of like, oh, so, so great. We can't even fucking like talk yep. about boys. Like, this is going great. Yep. Um. <sighs> yeah, I, and I mean the other one I, I think as well that really sort of seals the deal and helps get us the readers in this headspace of what's happening with these opposites is Verona's like, so what sort of practices are you into? And like Raquel just looks confused because that's just that's just not the way of thinking that people have here like at all. Like they most of these kids have been in a practice since you know before they could read. Um. It's just not really. It, it just is for them. It's not. It's not like a passion or something they're chasing. It's, it's just the role they were given. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. It's, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Raquel has had to chase her practice her whole life to keep her head above water. Yeah. Um, not. Not because she wants to. Again, I mean, with Raquel and also with uh, with Fernanda next chapter. It it just reinforces how, on a sense, lucky the Kennetiers are that they've fallen into the place of privilege they have with respect to their power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like Raquel even tells us here, we get more details on what her practice is. Like, because I, I think we knew she was like a soft implement collector, mm. but I didn't know what that meant. And, mm. and it's like she doesn't, because because I kind of assumed it meant that she got weak implements or something. Because that's mm. meant to be her whole family's deal, but we did yes. know as a as a as a woman, she wasn't allowed into the family proper. Um, and, mm. and so here we we find out basically all she is is she collects objects, and all she does is like use implement based imagery to kind of make them slightly less shit. Like that's my read on it. Is is it's just like she's a collector who collects trinkets and she just uses the imagery and and you know the established pattern of implements to try and boost them a little bit Mm. which is yeah like actually kind of brilliant really that to it's a brilliant way to synergize or or lean into her family's imagery despite them being fuckwits to her and not letting her actually be in it like Mm. yeah Mm. yeah yeah i don't know what to make of of Raquel Massa. I mean, it's interesting because obviously we find out that her her what is her relationship to to Mister Massa, the new headmaster? Uncle, I think. Uncle, right? Um, we find out that her uncle is the new headmaster, and that I mean it, that feels like it's closing the chapter, the 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 book on the chapter of BHI. But also, 
it feels like it leaves a space for Raquel to come in more. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, and because Raquel's such an interesting one because I want her to tell her family to go fuck themselves so bad because she's she spent this whole story being like, you know, I'm going to prove myself and I just have to be good and then I'll be accepted despite the fact that I'm a girl. Mm. And from memory, we saw right at the end of Arc 7, her uncle's basically like, uh, Raquel's never going to be a real member of the family. Mm. And I just want her to have that moment of, realizing that and telling them to go fuck themselves yeah it would be cathartic that's for sure um so with a quick three snaps of a key Estrella takes them into the fey kingdoms um what a place it is huh (laughs) yeah and i mean like this is one of those moments where i love how visual these stories are like we there's the three snaps it sort of takes over and then like i just got swept up into the fairy court like it's just enchanting yeah it's beautiful, isn't it? The, and, and the thing that is great about it is there's so much going on and it's so engaging. And that's the whole point. Like we, mm. as as audience members and as readers and analyzers of this work, I kind of want to dive into every single little thing that we see. But, I mean, the more we talk about them, the more we're just falling into the trap of the fey world. So we shouldn't talk about <laughs> anything that's in the not the main plot. Yeah, like everything is just begging for your attention. Um, I, I love Wabo's ability to capture like these little details that make things like non-realistic or, mm. or you know that break the rules of physics like the way the light scatters here is brought up as like just not being real um, and of course you know Verona is sort of instantly like wow this is so much better than real life I'd love to be able to get some of this at home mm. so I was like oh boy that's, that's setting off my alarm bells nice and early yeah I mean Verona chapters often just devolve into alarm bells, don't they? <laughs> I mean, I guess, but like, you know, I've been worried since Arc 2 that Verona was concerningly on the same wavelength as the fairy. Yeah. Um. So sort of seeing her in her first real experience in the fairy court just kind of be, yeah, sw- as swept up by it as I was as a reader. I was like, oh, this, this scares me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of enter the market proper by going through a few garden paths, hopping over a few backyard fences, etc. Um, things start getting even more hectic. Somebody tries to buy Verona's fingernail <laughs> and then a finger as Estrella haggles for like a baby potion. It, it's, it's wild. I love the, the finger bit because the, these are the fairy, like they treat it as so clinical. Mm. like it's like oh it'll be like a two second procedure i just put my teeth on your fingernail and i pull and it's like okay so that's just fancy bullshit for you're gonna bite a fingernail off like what are you talking about Mm. um and then the other guy offers to bite her finger off like a carrot and i I like yeah great first interaction in here to really make sure that we know this place is going to be fucked up yeah like it's remember you know don't get swept up in how beautiful this all is because somebody will bite your finger off like chomping a carrot and that's just like <laughs> those two things coexist in the fake courts and that's yeah the whole deal yep um so yeah I, I, they start looking through stuff rona kind of offhandedly mentions that she'd like to see some art stuff that that clearly is kind of an afterthought and she didn't really think of anything <laughs> in advance which is like like, it's crazy to me that Verona doesn't think, oh, I could buy some wild shit from here, and she just doesn't plan that. That's Verona, she's really falling off the deep end if she's not even doing that. 
Yeah, like, because art stuff just feels like her generic answer. Like, if you take her to the mall, and it's like, what are you looking for? And she's like, oh, I don't know, I might grab some art stuff. Um, but it, 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 it's, it's like a truly wild answer to give here in this fairy court. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. She does seem uh, unusually uninterested in peeking, picking up a bunch of crazy trinkets and stuff. Yeah, um... Yeah, and we see how crazy some of these trinkets you could have gotten here are, Verona, and she just, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I wonder, yeah, I wonder why she was just like, you know, is it just she knows that she can't trust the Fae, or? Well, and obviously the, the trio came here to get answers, that was kind of what they were planning on mm. doing, so maybe Verona just kind of got consumed by that and distracted by all the stuff that has been going yeah. on, and, and didn't think, oh, I can get some kind of cool magic shit for myself. I mean, she's yeah. obviously having a bad time, and this is maybe just another hint of that. I mean, like, Verona almost seems to spend more time focused on the people slash the others of this area more than the trinkets in it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting thing to kind of keep an eye on, I guess. Um, so, yeah, Raquel and Verona earn some money as consultants before they look for <laughs> something to spend that money on for Raquel. I mean, this this moment is so great. Like, uh, you you sort of panic as they as you feel like they're getting kidnapped, and then it's like, no, 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 they want to buy their services as human experts. Mm. Um, which is obviously just like, okay, Verona's a great choice for this because like she's an artist who's like studied the human form, right? Like that's that's a beat we've hit all throughout this story. She's, yes. she's trying to draw people anatomically. Yeah, she's she's um, getting better and better at it. Yeah, so she is kind of a great choice, but there's also just this delicious irony in others turning to Verona to get her opinion on humanness, mm. um, or being able to present an outer shell of being a human while, you know, not being human on the inside. Yeah. Um, I suppose she's been living with that for months now, um, back <laughs> at home. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah. So I don't know. There's just, it's just, it feels like a great moment of imagery where others are being like, "Hey, so how do you pass yourself off as a human?" And it's like Verona is the person to ask. Mm. Um, yeah, my my tinfoil on. I feel like this is, you know, I, I'm going to keep pushing my theory that Verona's specialty, if she takes one, will be as some sort of like middleman slash consultant. I mean, mm. That feels like exactly what I was talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Last week or a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, although I, I more thought of it from the other side. I thought she'd be working with other practitioners, but in this case, at least, it's it's with others. But she, yeah, I, like you know, this is this is the sort of thing I could see her doing. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This is exactly what you were kind of talking about, isn't it? Which is interesting. Hmm. Um. So adding it, adding it to the pile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we get this bit where she touches on uh, the connection between the brownies and the Fae and is like, oh shit, I'm just perpetuating what I've just been doing. <laughs> and it's again clear that Verona hasn't really dealt with anything. And so I, I assume that's something that we're going to have to deal with more in 9.1. I mean, like, Verona can't go this entire story without ever actually dealing with something, right? <laughs> Eventually it's all going to boil over. It must. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, no, you're right. This reminded me of that moment in, I think it was like 4.1, where Verona's walking home and she's, she has that moment where she's like, and suddenly all the monsters wrapped in plastic in her sight were scary. Mm-hmm. Um, where, yeah, like she, she's just actually kind of no having a good time in this fairy court. And then she thinks about the brownies and it's like, 
suddenly everything was claustrophobic and scary and it's like mm. suddenly <laughs> yeah but like I, I yeah yeah you're right it captures that she's she's not past this at all so brilliantly because she was like having a good time and this thing just sort of brings her right down yeah. um and it's it's not even like a close connection really it's just a few thoughts connect and she manages to sort of get stuck on it mm. yeah yeah like um it's gonna be so interesting like all three of these girls i'm kind of skipping ahead a bit but like all three of them i think are still dealing with what happened to bristow and alexander yeah um that's basically been every chapter in this arc has been us yeah. being like wow they're in trouble yeah um, and now they're obviously going back to Kennet, and i don't know if that's better anymore <sighs> like like a change of place could be good yeah and you'd think they're coming back to their support networks, which could be good. Yeah. But also remember why these three were chosen. Because yeah. they didn't really have support networks. Yeah. Like, you know, they're all coming back to some sort of family drama. Is it maybe Lucy? We'll see how the Booker thing goes. I'm sure there'll be a reason that it's it's drama and not just happiness. Um, but it's like, you know, the, the support network they had here was like Matthew and Edith and the others. And that's going to get so muddy with all our new friends mixed in that I'm not sure they'll necessarily be able to get what they need from that network either. So mm. it, it almost feels like, yeah, we're just going to come back to Kenneth and just move the problems around to keep all of the trauma and the emotion attached to them. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's going to make anything better, is it? Hmm. Uh, um, I hope I'm wrong. No, yeah, of course. But I mean, we're <laughs> moving into... The- what is obviously the finale of the story, it seems like at this point, right? So yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. I don't know. Um, I think it's a very slim chance if we're moving into the finale that things are going to get better, at least for any serious <laughs> amount of time. Yeah, exactly. It just sucks that they're still going to be carrying the trauma of the last big conflict as they get into the next one. Yeah. Um. So, so uh, the. The trio eventually find their way to what they've been looking for, which is a way to buy answers on how to deal with their fae back home, if it comes to it. But they are interrupted because America is missing. Uh, things have gone wrong almost immediately. What a cliffhanger. Yes. No, it's a good way to end because we know, okay, like we're here. We know we know this America thing's going to go wrong. Oh, okay. The cliffhanger is, it, it is, it has, it does. <laughs> um, I love that Jarvis, who was her, you know, buddy in this buddy system, um, just completely fucked up and, and is like looking around confused. I mean, is there any reason that we should think Jarvis isn't a, a total piece of shit? Um, I feel like, I mean, I feel like yeah. we've, haven't yeah. we had two interactions with him? Or, or, it was this one and wasn't he, it was him and Silas who tried to, Strong arm them when Bristow took over after the implement ritual, right? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just putting Jarvis on my list next to Corbin of people who I just haven't seen any redeeming features from yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's like, fair to give like him a place Corbin on that comes list. up at the end of the next chapter, and I yep. was just like, I can hate this kid. Yeah, piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> So let's move into 8.7. We're in Avery's head. Uh, Avery and uh, Fernanda are talking. We've gone back a bit in time, back to presumably just before we go into the Fae Realms or just after Mm. maybe. Um, But yeah, they're talking and their relationship seems cold. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, any excuse for more time in this fairy realm uh, is is fine by me because 
yeah, this this setting is so fantastic. And um, yeah, as you said, it, it almost feels like the oppositeness is possibly even more pronounced here than it was with Ra- Raquel and Verona. Like, mm. just because Avery is so... Like you know, she's she's little Miss Outreach. Like, yes, she's she has to make friends with people, right? And yeah, and so like, the fact that Fernanda just clearly isn't becoming a friend <laughs> in what Avery would define as the traditional kind of meaning of friend, it just rubs Avery so the wrong way. Yeah, well, because Fernanda's almost the opposite. Fernanda is she just she won't broadcast or give you an inch unless she kind of has to. And so yeah, like just watching these two, you, you bounce off each other. You just it's it's like Raquel and Verona were at the start. He's just like, oh god, this is just <laughs> yeah. You know, neither of them seem to. Well, Fernanda kind of finds a rhythm, but Avery's flailing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like Fernanda's obviously a bit prickly, but you can't help but respect her viewpoint, right? Like the the thing they need to do is both have some kind of mutual benefit from this, and so Fernanda's just going to immediately be like. Set out to give her a benefit. That's all I'm here to do. Give you a tangible benefit, not necessarily uh, become your friend. And uh, especially at the start, I think her her help is a bit misguided here. Yeah, I, I mean, there's more to the Fernandez side of it that we'll get into later, I think. Um, but yeah, it, you're right. There's there's just this. I, I couldn't help but get on board with Fernanda in this, and I was like. It was a weird undercurrent for most of this chapter for me, where I was like, okay, we're in Avery's head, so I don't know if I can trust this perspective of Fernanda seems kind of genuine and cool here, but then I just kept falling into it. I kept being like, oh, I really hope that Fernanda is just being friendly here. Yeah, and she kind of, I mean, like, yeah, I don't know, yeah. she kind of is. That's my read on it at, at the end. I, yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that in more detail as, as it sort of comes to a fall, but yeah, I was like, I think it's just a cool way to have tension, though, because I just couldn't let myself believe that it was the case until it was kind of proven. Um, so there's this that tension kind of carries you through this part of the chapter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and Avery, I mean, Avery obviously does quite well here too. She kind of scores a point with Fernanda by pointing out that Fernanda's acting quite similar to like a creepy dude being lecherous towards a child is 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 basically the comparison that is made, and it lands really well. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I love this moment because it does sort of mark the point where I feel I feel like Fernanda switched from like probing mode to actually trying to have this nice moment with Avery mode. It like because Fernanda has all of her stuff about how she doesn't want nice for niceness's sake, and, and it's the time where Avery finally sort of puts her foot down and, and is like, "You're being a creepy jerk." That Fernanda is finally like, "Oh, okay," like you know she's being genuine with me now like we can progress yeah 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 definitely it it kind of opens the bridge for them communicating yeah like i would be surprised if this is this was fernanda's plan fernanda's plan um was to push these buttons and get avery to kind of yeah push back a bit because that's establishing a bit more of a friendship Mm, yeah um so yeah, Fernanda gets into shopping mode hardcore. Um, <laughs> she arms herself with tools that are mainly for use against her own family, which is fun. I mean, look, we've been in her head. We know what the deal is with her family. <laughs> I'm like, I, I was kind of like, yeah, sure. Um, mm. it, it, it's heartbreaking the way like Fernanda is 
even now she has to have built her like whole life around protecting herself like this like the fact yeah she needs to be able to fake phone calls she needs to be able to fake sit just yeah to, like, stop from getting married off like that is heartbreaking and yeah i at the same time i'm like well i don't blame her like this is what she needs to do yeah um yeah it is troubling isn't it um like all of her energy is spent fighting manipulating and fighting against her family effectively right like she's just trying to get out from under their thumb and that's pretty much all she spends her time and energy doing which makes me wonder what would she be like if she didn't have to do that i I think she'd be incredibly fearsome or just she would be able to chill out which is also great yeah exactly like how how much of something like this is nurture instead of nature like she's someone who's had to be shaped into this fearsome person because of a circumstance and without it she'd just be normal which is like better i i think like i i think she would argue she'd much rather have a life where she didn't have to be like this you know Mm. there are certain situations where brilliant brilliance is something you've had to work towards for bad reasons and probably isn't worth it and i think fernanda might be one Mm. yeah yeah i think so um uh, so yeah, there's this obviously scenes during this shopping montage. I mean, that's not accurate, but I like that we can call it that. Um, no, it totally is. Like they even do, you know, that thing. And it's always in the movies. Those like little photo booths in like arcades. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where you go in and you do the faces and then it prints out a few photos. They do that with the mirror. Mm. Like, so yeah, it's totally like a friend's mall shopping trip from one of those like Disney films or something. Mm. yeah no it definitely is but of course we get to have it as this kind of like literal moment of self-reflection for avery and fernanda right <laughs> which is great um obviously avery kind of decides that she needs to have snowdrop as a familiar based on snow's absence in this theoretical future but also yes. i love the idea that um we saw in lucy's implement ritual she saw a kind of future version of avery right this cool older version of herself and I think it's great that Avery sees this version of herself. She doesn't seem to comment on it, but it's like, I, I think very useful for her to see, like, this is the cool kick-ass person that I might go into. Yeah, no, I agree. But it's it, like, it, you're right. It's so Avery. She sees this cool kick-ass adult version of her in the mirror. And the thing she notices is that she doesn't have, like, her her friend, a, a person with her. Like what? What she yeah. immediately picks is, yeah. oh, I'm basically alone. Like Fernanda's here, but that you know that doesn't count. Different. Like she notices Snowdrop is gone. Um, it's a very Avery reaction to seeing this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not going to complain because like she's finally, finally popped the question to Snowdrop. Um, so I'm I'm happy about that. Mm. Yes, thank God for that. Snowdrop says yes, which is great. I mean, she says no, but she means yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that's still funny, like, six arcs <laughs> later. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I'd love for Avery to be the sort of person who would take that moment to notice how kick-ass she can be in the future. But, um, yeah. Um, like, wait, with the Snowdrop stuff, I, I don't want to take a sec, though, because I think, like, it's a decision Wildbo made to wait this long to mm, do that to, to like, like you know him, yeah yeah like you know i think a lot of us in like 2.9 were like okay so snowdrop avery's familiar like when like middle of arc three like what what are we thinking here and so it was like a very deliberate decision to wait yeah you know, six arcs to to sort of have it actually come up as something they're definitely 
thinking about doing. Um, and I, I like that for really highlighting the weight of it as a decision. Like you don't just, like in Disney princess style, meet someone you click with and marry them. Um, like Snowdrop and Avery have gone through separate journeys and kind of grown apart a bit, but they're still like, yeah, important to each other. I don't know. I just really like this as something Walbo decided to do. Like, I think it was obvious it had to happen from the get-go, but he still made it get earned. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it feels, it still feels uh, novel, even though we kind of know it is what it should have happened, the whole story, right? It just has felt like it's been the destiny, but it still feels nice. Yeah, yeah, we had to wait long enough that, I mean, I started to doubt at various points in the story that it was going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing, we had to wait till it really felt right. Mm. Yeah. Um, so after their shopping trip, uh, Fernanda and Avery start to talk about relationships. Uh, Avery comes out to Fernanda, and Fernanda kind of tries to ascertain her her style, the kind of people that she goes for, um, <laughs> and is thrown off by it immediately. <laughs> I, yeah, I do love her response to this, where she's just she she yeah matches up with Avery's eye one. She's just like, I don't. I mean, okay, good luck. <laughs> like, I can't help with this. Mm. That's outside of outside of my domain. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could, this was one of those parts where I couldn't help, but just believe that Fernanda and Avery were genuinely connecting here, even though at the time I had no reason to think it was genuine, uh, mm. especially cause like Fernanda is still not giving out anything, but like kind of taking everything from Avery. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's like this, this part, it actually just feels like they're becoming friends in a really cool way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Genuinely. Um, it's great. It's it's Fernanda being chaotic, but in a way that is trying to be like helpful and supportive of Avery. It's it's mm. hilarious. It's awesome. Um, yeah, and and I mean, this is sort of the part where I think we really get the insight into the fact that Fernanda, I think, was being genuine here, and why? Because there's that moment where, uh, yeah, I, like Fernanda sort of starts to say, like, "Oh, I just want something nice from this summer that's not my family falling apart and Alexander dying," and then Avery goes, "Oh, and." you were friends with Layla and then Fernanda sort of looks away and sort of absently says, don't spoil this, which just like broke my heart. And I was like, Oh, that way, this is it. She just, Fernanda must carry so much guilt for the last interactions she had with Layla. And she's just trying to assuage that guilt by having a nice friend moment with, you know, someone else who's nice. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, it made me sure. feel bad for doubting her the entire chapter and thinking she was secretly maybe up to something. <laughs> I mean, she could still be. You never know. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Um, the 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 contrast between Fernand and Avery is so great. What I was kind of hinting at before, like you know, because obviously we've touched on the idea that Avery is her whole deal kind of is collecting friends, right? And we very cynically touched on it as this idea of like yes of course build up your network of friends every because that's all people that you can rely on and you can you can not use but like call on for help right people who will want to help you if you build yeah. up a connection with them um and fernanda is just doing that exact same thing but without making any you know without any pretense that it's not because she wants friends because she wants allies <laughs> like it's such a great they're so aligned in that for different purposes fernanda for the overt purpose and avery for the kind of kind purpose which i think is great yeah well it's that different 
You're right. Wait, Avery wants it because she likes it and she wants to connect with people. Fernanda wants tools. Um, or like you know, she's she's doing it for like like a game of chess usually. Mm. Um, although again, I have hope. Like this moment with Avery, I think shows that she's going through a bit of a turning point. Like you know, I guess losing everything just about um can do this to a person, but she's starting mm. to realize that maybe she does need some of those genuine connections. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, she's obviously not all the way there because she still can't convince herself to open up and give much to Avery. Mm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I left this chapter cautiously optimistic about Fernanda's path in life uh, now. Like, oh, as a person, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, they, they continue their shopping. Fernanda purchases this uh, magic key and lock, which allows you to return home, which is nice. <laughs> um, and Avery takes this and goes to group up with the others, and they ask their questions of this uh, Fae Mystic kind of character. <laughs> yes, uh, this is this is very fun. Of course, we couldn't have a big set of fairy chapters without some fairy having the opportunity to fucking, you know, give us a bunch of crazy bullshit knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, we it's straight answers that we get from a fae, which is maybe the first time. Um, I'm wondering if there's a ploy, but it just feels like on its face it's just pay this fae to get straight answers about fairy shit, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not, like, straight, straight, though. Oh, there are definitely they're, a few answers. They're pretty straight. Oh, I mean, relatively. There's that one, like, it took me two to three goes to understand, and I'm still not 100% sure I've got it, like, what she meant by there being the extra traps above the three that were given. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like by fairy standards, it, it's very much like her, her way of getting her fairy trickery in is she gives them their unexpected bonus answers. Um, which is very helpful. Which, I thought yeah, those unexpected exactly. bonus answers were the most helpful parts. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great value for money. I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, some of those unexpected bonus answers are the things things that are new to us. The, the, the Kentis had already been theorizing about some of these traps, and that's kind of confirmed. But then we get uh, info that Marisica is inexperienced, which is a weakness. Basically, she doesn't really get humans that much, and so if it comes down to it, they can probably surprise her. Um, and that Guillaume's fall to winter will leave him more similar to who he is now than what we expect, which is interesting. I'm kind of picturing him like falling to agency and just becoming basically a robot, effectively a bigger and more dangerous echo that just is like carrying out the last thing that he did, which is a bit rough. Hmm. See, I think because uh, I, I guess I, like, I, I've had conversations about stuff like this, like on on the various uh, discords mm. um, that that we're in, and I, I had, I, I think this is Wildbo sort of closing up because I definitely had more of that opinion that it's less you turn into a robot and more you just kind of get you're still the same person, but you kind of get stuck having to follow, try and follow this other pattern. Yeah. But like, you know, you wouldn't have someone like Estrella being so good at fairy stuff and being winter specialized if there was, if there wasn't more to them than just being like automatons. Mm. Um, so yeah, like, like I, for me, I think the, 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 the extra detail for Gilmay that we really got that I latched onto was this idea that it is very much the, f what he's doing in the final moments of his final story that will seemingly like, seal what he is as a winter fairy mm. so like it, it, it's less you know the last 10 
stories he has, but it's very much the final moments of the final one sound like they will cement what he is as a winter fairy, which is mm-hmm. like, you know, speaking of seeds Wildbo could plant for himself as we head into the finale, like that's a fucking great one. Yeah, I mean, what what could it be when we get to that point? Like, God, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, because his last stories, like we've talked about this, that there's been fan theories and stuff on how much he seems to lean into this like old wise mentor mm. sort of role. So what can his final thing be with that as, the, as his final story ends? That's not dying. Yeah. That could lead to him. Yeah. What, what does it turn him into? Like, it's yeah. fun to think about. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There's yeah. I don't know. Who knows? I, I mean, it's <laughs> gotta be something to do with the, uh, like his final story has to be to do with the common beast stuff, right? Like that just feels crazy if it's not. Um, but then I don't know what yeah. to, where to go from there. I mean, all the, all the Kennedy's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I could see it being either, or, you know, they're not separate stories maybe, but mm. um, yeah, I, 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 the, the Marcy stuff is something I want to come back to as well. So we, we learned sort of the extra thing she was doing on top of like the three overt traps um, that were included is that the, these things were very much all designed to make sure that they were on certain trajectories that she wanted them to be on. Mm. Um, so like reinforcing Avery's sense of self by having her not, you know, by having Avery confirm that she's not trans, basically yeah. that really nailed in part of Avery's self. And so like, that's something Marissa probably wanted. And mm. we got all that. And like, that's, that's very interesting to me. So like, we know Marissa is, has played her entire hand is the other thing that comes up. So it's like Verisica has done a lot of stuff to basically make sure that these three are on trajectories she wants. And I'm kind of looking at this puzzle going, okay, but fucking why though? Mm. Um, I can't wait. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that Marisica is one of Edith's co-conspirators. I know they, they seem like the obvious two, but yeah, it just continues to be more so that I, I, I'm starting to focus more on the, why than the who yeah interesting yep and with marisica i keep coming back to this idea she's a young fairy and i feel like that makes her more likely to be one who's like a bit more of a revolutionary someone who wants to make a big change Mm. um Mm. and that's maybe what she's doing with this carmine stuff and helping with Kenneth. yeah i could see it now interesting yeah, very fun. I'm, I can't wait to spend more time with the the fairy as we head into the finale. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of agree with you that we've got Edith and Marissa as clearly the two most suspicious folks, right? But even with that, mm. I feel like we can't. I I don't even. I mean, I don't even know if that's that's that if that's enough. If there's not more that's going on here, you know? Oh yeah, I don't. I, I mean, don't not sorry, not more everything. that's going on here, but like. Even that they, I know there's more that's going to be going. If it's them, it's not just yeah. going to be we're here to vie for power. Even that it's them, I, I, I don't feel confident saying, you know. No, I no, you're right. And I go back and forth on this like constantly because you just have those moments where it's like, it just seems too obvious though. Um, yeah. I, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm starting to have more and more just kind of leaning into the assumption that we're getting all this thrown at us that it, like all this suspicious stuff thrown at us maybe just because it is true and leaning towards the why rather than the yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. the who mm. we'll see though yeah I, I could definitely be wrong 
as you well, said, I, as I said, I'm going back and forth on it right now, <laughs> as we speak. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we we have our conversation with the famous dicks, then we move ahead to America's shenanigans. Um, America's basically trying to get goblins into the Fey courts, so <laughs> the group regroups and starts to head home before things get too sour. And Avery is kind of tricked into being pulled into a goblin hole and has to fight uh, America. Yeah, and I mean, I love how the setting literally changes. Like, again, this is what's so great about this world and these settings. It's like, you know, it actually gets to start raining because that's how they put fires out. And um, yeah, like to jump ahead to the actual fight, like it's it's all gross and in the mud, which is just so... Like, I, I feel like that's such a perfect imagery for what this fight with America is. Like, because, you know, we'll get to how Avery beats her. But America in this fight, she's just dragging everyone and everything else down with her. And what better way to represent that than with a fucking slow, heavy, claustrophobic fight in a muddy tunnel? Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's it's grimy. It's muddy. It's gross, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, like, as the tension ratchets up, it gets so tense. We have this small interaction that Avery has with this black fur girl, and it feels like even though she probably isn't going to do anything, and even seems to be, like, almost helping Avery, trying to help Avery avoid falling into this goblin hole, um, the, the sense that em- things could almost immediately turn into a fate worse than death is so strong, <laughs> based on just <laughs> what we know of Faye. Yeah, like, there's that moment where Avery sort of turns around expecting to see America, and then it's one of these children fairy who have just been in the background around, for these, yeah. these last one and a half chapters. Like, it's just been, like, he knew something was going to happen with them because it was just every couple of paragraphs there'd be a, and those children were still on the roofs watching us. So I was like, okay, yeah. where the fuck are they going? Yeah. Um, And, yeah, like, I... You're right, this moment, like, you, there was still just a little part of me that was like, oh, God, is this where it's going to go wrong for Avery? She's going to have to deal with this thing's bullshit. Yeah, but she doesn't. She kind of keeps clear of them and then ends up falling into the actual trap. Mm. I mean, they, those were probably a trap, too. They, it was just all yeah. traps, I guess. Yeah, well, they kind of offer her this ability to stay, and she's like, no. No, like, Oh, well, off you go. She's waiting, which is, yeah. like, a bit of a spiteful thing. But this fairy, I think, also kind of seals Avery's win because this fairy makes the comment of like, oh, yeah, practitioner problems tend to spill down and hurt us more. Yeah. And she connects that to what happened to Avery and Kenneth. And I I think that's a big part of how Avery connects that thought of, oh, this is like, you know, the fairy of course. These people aren't necessarily just monsters. They're also in their own way, victims. Yeah. yeah they are so. others, and others are obviously have been victimized by practitioners forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this is such a great fight. Like, I love America as this character. And I, I want to contrast it to, like, Shelley, right? Because we had the Shelley fight, which was kind of uh, visually or, or maybe thematically similar in their kind of bullheadedness. But America is still a human, and the resolution of this is America being demonstrated that she's wrong, that she's doing something bad, and it works, and it's so powerful. It's it's such a great moment. Yeah, Shelley had defined herself so much by the fairies' deals that she became undealable. With. Yes. Whereas America's not that. America was just, and you know, this is the imagery of the wet, muddy fight. Like 
she's just someone who's hurt and she's lashing out. She doesn't know how to do that uh, any other way. Um, it's just so much more pitiful almost. Um, don't tell America I said that. Yeah, because she'll come get you. <laughs> but yeah. Um, actually, sorry, while we're talking so much about America as well, special shout out to Liberty who just spends all this time fucking cleaning up her sister's mess and being yeah. a champ. What um, a hero. Liberty earned even more even more respect points yeah yeah um yeah uh so yeah avery convinces america that she is wrong which is good uh good fight good good stuff and the fight stops america goes home we're kind of saying goodbye to america avery's pulled out by the rest of the group and we get this scene where nicolette kind of finishes the thought that she almost started last chapter yeah yeah um so to go back to the fight with america Mm. again quickly like that just I, i love this moment of the realization with what what's going on with the fairy like because we've been in this market for a chapter and a half now and i still like i hadn't quite consciously put this idea together that like how much these fairy were struggling like i just bought into the narrative that oh they just love trading and they love all the haggling and this is a market and then yeah. it was like the second it was really spelled out for me i was like of course these people have been desperate to make sales and offering incentives and it's just uh, yeah of of course they're struggling and, yeah. and you can see like america have that realization as well and what i love about that is like she's a goblin princess like fairy are everything she's against and avery's abilities are so strong that she even makes america have sympathy for the fairy yeah i mean you can look back and see oh in every interaction they've had the practitioners have so disproportionately had all the power in that interaction right mm. like Estrella's bargaining has just been basically de- deciding terms that the Fae kind of just have to agree to. Um, and yeah. it's, yeah, you're right. It's it's so great to recontextualize these two chapters. Well, yeah, because like, that's so, like, because going into this, I was still in that headspace of, oh, the Fae are terrifying and there's all these traps and they're out to get you. And you kind of put them in this position of power in your head that they don't actually have. And, yeah. and so all the haggling is seen as like, like I was kind of leaning into it as, oh, it's playing their game and you have to yeah. be careful as you're doing it. And then Avery gets us to take that step back and I'm like, oh no, these people like, like yeah, they're just pushing for everything they can get because they they fucking need it. Well, I mean, um, it's both, right? And that's why it works yeah. so well, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like, cause yeah, you just get stuck in the one perspective and uh, getting hit with that other one was such a good moment. Um, there's also... One last thing from this fight, like Avery has this like kick-ass moment where she gets up after the first being tackled into the mud, and like draws on a boon she's gotten from every path. Like, oh, she got balance from yeah. that light, light one. She got speed or something from Zoom Town. Uh, the Forest Ribbon Trail got her the black rope. Like in a chapter where early on with Fernanda, she spent all this time exploring how she's not the best practitioner and what her spot is in the group. Mm. So then, yeah, later in the fight, she gets to stand up and be like, actually, I have all these skills from what I've yeah. done. Like, I, I've collected yeah. these boons. I'm a badass. It stood out to me, too, right? Because she explicitly says that she thinks she's the weakest of the three Kenneteers. But yeah. this is, I think, the, the quickest and cleanest resolution of a fight that we've seen in the entire story, right? Like, <laughs> by a solid long shot, this is, she gets the exact outcome that she wants with very minimal bloodshed or injury. like. Two thumbs up to that, Avery. I think it's just like, yeah, because her whole thing is she's sort of like, oh, I think the other two are better at practice than me. And it's like, well, 
Yeah, is that yeah, but the like, goal? They're better, well, yeah, they're better at these traditional parts, like fucking putting spells together or binding or some of that shit, you know? But, like, or you know, and Verona obviously sort of grocks a lot of others really quickly. But I feel like that, that's just Avery missing the the power of, like, her esoteric field. Like, yeah, you know, she's a finder, and she's very fucking good at that. And that comes with these perks that she's just... Because they're just easy for her like she doesn't appreciate how fucking powerful and unique those are um yeah and i would also say like even when dealing with practitioner situations like this one the practice isn't the only tool in your tool belt right avery like even if you are not as good at the practice even if that was true which i don't think it is you're able to diffuse this situation because you have other skills that you're clearly very good at like and that is what makes this such a powerful victory yeah i mean she she wins this fight using her words like what's more practitionery than that yeah exactly um, yeah yeah i don't know it, it just feels like and i think all the kennedys do this a lot but avery the most this idea that like they focus on what the others have and there's this weird grass is greener thing where it's like oh verona's so good at that and i'm just terrible and it's like verona can't run like 50 meters like you know like yeah you've got all these powerful shit it's like oh i'm not that good in a fight it's like you almost 1v1 that arena bag man you know like Avery what the fuck you want about yeah for sure um and then this is maybe our farewell to America and Liberty Ted great characters that I absolutely loved hopefully we see more of them but it's hard to know at least Liberty come on Wabo you got to give us Liberty at the end there though we'll see Liberty has to show up for the finale yeah give us Liberty or give us death Wabo come on (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, and and so yeah, and then we get obviously this this bit with Nicolette where she confirms that she knows that they killed Alex, and Ray probably <laughs> knows too. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean the 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 fantastic part of this is is because she sort of goes from there to Musa has been made the headmaster, and at first what I felt there was despair, and then sort of a realization that that was inevitable but the, the the icing on the cake is that basically nicolette sort of is like hey it's kind of your fault because we needed someone like musa because we don't know mm, who killed alexander yeah and, and even she seems to suggest that raymond picked musa because he wouldn't investigate too much and therefore yeah. come after the Kennedyers. like ray is so on side that he's kind of cutting off their their nose a bit for the Kennedy's benefit, which is very nice. Yeah, and and this is a huge part of why I feel like like you keep saying that we are sort of tying a bit of a bow on the the Blue Heron Institute part of yeah. this year because this was the ramifications of uh, Alexander being killed extrajudiciously and them avoiding facing justice for that or, or hiding John facing justice for that this is the this is what the story's punishment is for them now it's like well because of that you've recreated a climate where someone like musa is the person who we have to put in charge and yeah yeah like you know you you wanted to believe you could change this entire culture and system by chopping off two of the heads but that was never going to be the case and and, you know the the dirtiness surrounding alexander's in particular has just meant that we can't put perpetuated it explicitly Yeah. yeah um it's so depressingly perfect. <laughs> it it happened, and I was like, "Of course, this couldn't have gone any other way." And I fucking hate it. Mm. Yeah. 
yeah. Um, so uh, that's the end of this chapter and the end of the Blue Heron Institute, seemingly. Um, yeah. Not the end of well, our show. Well, yeah, I, I get very big end of arc vibes. Yeah, for sure. Both for this sure. and the extra material. I think we'll get like an 8.x interlude. Yeah. But tomorrow. I think that's not going to be Blue Heron related. I think that's going to be t- setting yeah. us back, setting the stage back in, in, in old Kennet. Yeah, it'll be like one of the Kennet others or like maybe maybe one of the parents again. That'd be cool. But mm. um, For an dad interlude, let's do it. <laughs> but you're right. I feel like it'll be uh, something that, that ties us back towards Kennet. It yeah. could be more clean up in Blue Heron. Could, it could be, like, of course, yeah. I, I know. I, I think... My gut instinct was the same as yours. I feel like it'll be something to draw us further into Kennet. Yeah. Um, speaking of being drawn back into Kennet, should we jump into this uh, car trip home? We get into our bonus material. Yeah. And uh, it's more emails, which we knew. It's the other new other correspondence, number two. Um, first up, Tashlit. <laughs> I, I mean, there's a little part of me that's terrified that we're going to find out there's some reason we shouldn't like Tashlit later in the story, but Right now, I'm riding the hype train. Tashlet just seems amazing. Yeah, she seems pretty great, I think. Um, there's not much new information here about Tashlet. We kind of already know Tashlet. Um, but then we mm. get this other segment, which is a, a kind of format that we're going to see throughout this entire bonus material, which is the Kennedys discussing these emails as they come in. Um, yeah. And it's especially weird because we never get any, like, this jumped out to me immediately. We never get any, like, Every said, Lucy responded, the kind of mm. attributions to, to who's saying what. And it's so weird. It's not something that I think we've ever seen in the story before, except in other bonus materials with things like um, the phone conversation or something where we didn't really know who was speaking at certain parts. And it, it really puts you on the back foot. Like, I, I, it made it feel like more chaotic and more argumentative than it necessarily was, which was weird to me. Did you get yeah, that vibe? Yeah, no, I definitely did because you you have to you're, you're kind of struggling to keep up with the conversation a little bit more than you usually do because you you struggle a bit more to figure out exactly who's speaking. Um, so it makes it a bit more overwhelming, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely chaotic. Maybe not argumentative, but chaotic definitely is the vibe that I got from. Yeah, yeah, it's just that bit harder to to follow along. Um, I mean, yeah, it's interesting because I guess coming into it, I did just expect the same formula of email and then short response emails, um, which you think I'd know better by now. Wabo hates doing the same thing twice. <laughs> yeah, always mixes um, it up. And yeah, like this, this is a fun one. It leads to a very different feel to it as well because it's like real-time interactions and they're not responding to Matthew. It's just like them digesting stuff um conversationally it's it's both more relaxed and also yeah just a bit more chaotic um yeah i i i feel sorry is it still a thing that you can technically read this story without reading the extra materials because i'd hate for someone to have missed this i mean i think so but it would be crazy to me i guess we ask these kind of questions a lot but if you're reading this story (laughs) and not reading the extra materials you know Hit us up, because I want to know your perspective. I have to believe the sort of person who isn't reading the extra materials, it's also the sort of person who isn't listening to this podcast. I mean, yeah, that's probably true. I can't imagine you're the sort of person who has like two hours a week to listen to us bullshit on about this story, but you don't have time to read the extra materials. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So uh, then we get to one of our new others, Liz, a doppelganger with a sordid past. I yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm going to say this every single time, but what a cool idea for another. Um, not just like a doppelganger, but someone who doppelgangs uh, like a, a population is such a cool idea. Yeah. yeah, it is a cool idea, isn't it? It works really well. Um, having said that, Liz is probably has done the most, in air quotes, evil that any other in story that we know of has done, right? Like these are brutal, unjustified murders that she has done and it is openly kind of uh, discussing as, as seemingly because she is trying to atone for her past in some way, but still uh, raises red flags. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is, yeah, I, I like the, the stuff with the girls school is obviously bad. The, the witch hunters are a bit interestingly different because they started it. Although I mean, did not. they? Like, she uh, yeah, was no, yeah, hurting and possibly killing children. So, I, I don't think it's but, fair to say they started it. I mean, yeah, but also, if you're going to hunt someone, I don't know, even if they deserve it, it's still, it, like, I was mostly in awe, because I feel like we've had witch hunters hyped up as someone who, like, you know, yeah. they killed Estrella's whole family, and Liz took down two groups of them. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah, that's pretty gnarly. Yeah, she um, does good. She's a she's a good fighter, at least a good murderer. If that's what you want yeah. on your team, someone who's very competent at murder. <laughs> um, I mean, well, yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I find this concept for her fascinating because she's someone who was born of a group, like a clique, and mm. she, uh, like you know, did terrible things as a part of that. But then she managed to escape. And and Matt talks about how she she kind of tried to find herself and define herself like on the road. Like it reminded me of stories of people who are like raised in a cult and escaped. Like it's it's a similar sort of vibe to me where like yes, yeah, she did all this terrible stuff, but she was born to it. And it was kind of the second mm. she managed to get away, she's managed to yeah, like like seemingly calm down and, and find herself and, and is mm. ostensibly living a more peaceful life. So I'm willing to give her the benefit of a doubt despite this terrible thing um, that's in her past. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it is it maybe a demonstration of how, for others and practitioners, breaking the cycle is the only thing that you can do to get any real kind of autonomy? Yeah, and I guess, I, I, uh, you know, for, for humans in real life as well, I, I, like, I struggle to blame people too much for stuff they did... In, in an environment they were raised in, yeah, and well, you know, without having who, any opportunities to self-reflect, right? Seemingly, yeah, I mean, we don't like, know for like, sure, but that's implied for sure. Yeah, but like the second she got out of these toxic environments, she turned self-reflective and tried to improve. And like, I'm always going to, I think, be willing to try and give someone a second chance in those situations because I, I just don't have it in me to hold her responsible for, you know, the first group she was with these, these horrible girls she was like born into them and then the next group she encounters are like witch hunters who are set to murder so of course she kind of flipped it back on them and and got murdery like that's all she knew how to do was copy others um so yeah i don't know I, i'm yeah as with all of the others we keep getting introduced to i can't fucking wait to meet her mm, yeah definitely um Interesting point that is raised by one of the Kenneteers, I think Lucy, but I'm not 100% sure, which is uh, <laughs> that uh, 
Liz is checking with Edith and Marissa a lot, primo suspects, which means if this does descend to an actual fistfight or whatever, uh, Liz is going to be on the opposite team. Yeah, which, <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're right. It, it doesn't, it's not a good, like, check mark in Liz's book uh, that she's most associated with the two people we most likely think did it. Um, especially because, like, she could change her appearance, right? So you may not always know you're talking to Liz. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know what I want to see, though? Oh. You know how Verona has that moment where she, like, she, she gets all, like, Reddit thread on um, on Liz's powers. And it's like, yeah, had a min max room yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What if you just get her to copy the three Kenneteers? What does the... What does the the average of the three Kenneteers come across as as a person? That's what I want. That's what I want. Interesting. An interesting question that I'm not sure we would get an answer to. And also, I don't know what we would gain from that answer. <laughs> oh, just seeing whether I'd probably be somebody who's like drowning in trauma. Mm. Uh, you see Liz copying them and being like, oh my God, the hell? <laughs> What's going on with you three? Why did I sign up to have you be our practitioners? <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, and could she, can she do, did, is it confirmed that she can't do populations of others? I'd love to get the whole council we and didn't, have her be the average. Yeah, we didn't get the confirmation. I mean, Verona, oh. I think it's Verona says, like, could she tell, if she did the entire council, could she tell who's, like, secretly evil? Yeah. I just want, like, I feel like Liz is such a powerful thing for other people to reflect on themselves. Like, yeah, if you get her to do the the entire council group of others... What does she turn into and what does that say about them? Like, and they'll have to face that, you know? Yeah, but it's not necessarily Liz's job to just be your th- therapist for our main characters. No. I mean, I agree, but... No, you're right. Assuming she's keen or, like, you know, willing to do this, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, next up we get Jabba, the uh, the Frankenstein's <laughs> monster. Uh, yeah, I... <laughs> Oh, I we don't get know this what quick beat. Sorry, there's just a quick fun moment before them where they realize they forgot Cherry, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this moment is is fucking golden. It's so, it's, it's very so good. good. Yeah. Um, and of course, like like you know, classic Walbo. He 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 almost immediately breaks the new formula he's just established. Like yeah. as soon as I was getting my head around, oh, okay, so we're doing email talking response. He's like, nope, I'm gonna break it. Uh, you know, in the second second round, no third round. Third this round. is the third. Yeah, of course. Really I mean, Tash that was first, but it was such a quick one. No, but it's still yeah, yeah. Email talk, email talk, and then yeah, third one. Uh, he immediately <laughs> breaks it, and <laughs> of course they forgot Cherry. Mm. <laughs> so Cherry Pop. Imagine if they just hadn't come back for a. <laughs> what would have happened? I we couldn't just have Cherry Pop written out of the out of the. Uh, Keep wanting to say written out of the show, written out of the story at that point. Um, oh, I'm more thinking, like, imagine her, because there's all these goblins in the area, and she'd have mm-hmm. to fucking enter their social hierarchy. Join them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's going to be, actually, that's going to be really funny, right? Like, Cherry is effectively a full member of the council, which means that in some ways she is above, like, all these newcomers in a way yep. that I find very hilarious. Yep. Um, like some of these other goblins are going to be real pissed to meet her, surely. Yeah. Shall we touch on Jabba though? Um, yeah. He's a worrying other to introduce. Not for him. He seems kind of chill, but the idea that this gives him a way to kind of manipulate slash abuse the innocents in town is is very worrying to me. Like from a narrative perspective. 
Yeah, like you're right. Like th there's some focus on Jabba and, and who he is, but I'm the same. My takeaway from this was really he represents this first, or actually, I think Liz is the first, but the second, I guess, big moral compromise. Yeah, it feels that they're making here, which is they are opening up the option of tapping the innocence in town in order to to get power when it when it's really needed. Mm. And um. <sighs> But there was, I, I think we've talked about, there was like a moral compromise, I think, in the town with the Hungry Choir. Mm. Like, I don't think it's new that they are bringing in others that they don't really like, but they need power for, because that was the Hungry Choir. But the Hungry Choir was one big one that didn't really care about them. Mm. These new batches, it's starting to feel like death by a thousand cuts. Like, there's just all these little ones who have, you know, uh, Jabba introduces this unfortunate avenue that we can tap into the innocence and you know liz is <sighs> much more violent than we usually yeah. like but we need her i mean all right of now. these except for tashlin i guess are compromises in a in a quite major way yeah exactly and it's like it it feels almost dirtier in a way than the hungry choir because the hungry choir was this monolith we knew its deal because it was so simple like it was a bad moral compromise, but a simple one. This is like, mm. yeah, all these little ones, it just feels so much messier. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> um, weird one next. Ken, the spirit of the town itself. <laughs> I I was in love the second I found out this was a thing. It's pretty wild, isn't it? Um, because it's like, I mean, Kennedy is clearly so important to the story. We've since spent so much time there that every facet of Ken's personality that Matthew introduces, we immediately kind of get. But it's like this version of, you know, you sometimes say like, oh, the location is so prominent in this story, it's basically a character. And this is mm. like making that so literal in a way that only <laughs> the other us can, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Like, like we saw when we covered Mile End, there was that shop um, that was a person or, the, you know, yes. had an animated per yeah. per like personality. And it was like ever like ever since we saw that, I've just sort of been like, we need that one of these Kenneth. in pale. Yeah, and I wouldn't have actually dreamed we'd just get Kenneth as a character because you're right. There's just so much you can do with that. Like it's just, I yeah, it's 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 so amazing. I can't wait for it. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? Um, do you think he introduces himself as G'day? The name's Kenneth. Lovely to meet you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, well, it's probably great. not G'day because he's a Canadian. It's probably now. not G'day, yeah. I don't know the um, Canadian equivalent of G'day. Um, I, yeah, like, like, but I mean, again, like that's this thing. Like, I, Ken's going to be so fun because you're going to be able to nitpick every detail about him mm. to to make a statement on the town as a whole. Mm. Like the fact that he's cool with the short name Ken is already like okay, yes. so that implies some sort of casualness. Um. You know, he's not, he's not all uptight and, you know, mm. like, you know, when we meet him and we're going to, we're going to see what, how he's dressed. And I'm probably going to spend like 15 minutes analyzing how he's dressed, <laughs> um, what that says about the, the denizens of Kennet. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting as, as Matthew is discussing Ken brings up the idea of, um, of that Ken can tell there are intruders in the town some others that are seemingly not getting flushed out and Ken thinks have have the goal of doing harm to the town. Like, that's interesting. That's kind of worrying. Yeah. Is that 
Is that Marissa Kurenadith? <laughs> or, or is there more? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this feels like a, a potentially uh, important line. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Interesting. Um, and of course, Lucy is justifiably upset at this. Uh, mm. Matthew has invited mm. a distillation of the thing that makes Lucy's life hard into the council. And I hope, <laughs> I just hope, I hope, hope, hope that when we do get interactions between Lucy and Ken, they're fun interactions and not just racist and depressing interactions. I I don't think he's going to be overtly racist, but there's going to be like, I my guess is that he's just going to be a little awkward around Lucy and like put his foot in his mouth. Mm. Um, cause that's, yeah. I mean, like, I think th- this was one of those moments where I was like, thank God for Lucy, because I just, I did a Verona and I was like, that's so cool. He's an animus and he's going to be like of the town and like, you know, he doesn't actually like to help. He just likes to complain, which is very much like my hometown's animus would be like that as well. Mm. I guarantee it. Um, and I was just focusing on the cool bits. And so like Lucy has to step in to just remind me that like, Hey, Remember that system that fucking sucks? He's kind of an embodiment of that too, so he's gonna suck a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and <sighs> then the other big thing that comes up in the text, talking um, like at the end of of Ken's one when they're having the conversation, is mm. we get the reminder that our culprits have probably been making moves while they're gone as well. So, you know, we, we talked about this last week, but one thing we have to keep in mind is all of these others are potentially aligned with or tools of the culprits and i feel like that conversation is particularly relevant as we get to our next other Mm, yeah the final other actually uh crooked rook and oni is revealed very quickly who uh wants nothing to do with the kenneteers and does not have any interest in working with them at all (laughs) i mean this is yeah, like, like, you know, to go immediately from, oh, you know, we've got to be reminded, uh, like, we've got to keep it in our minds that the culprits are up to stuff and we need to think about who the culprits might be aligning themselves with. Then immediately it's like, and here is our anti practitioner specialist new other that we have. It's like, oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. Uh, good times. Um, yeah, it's good. It's a good delivery on all the things that have kind of been circulating around, right? Like, Oni obviously have still been waiting to be delivered on. We get mm. Matthew dropping hints that the, the the other is going to be someone important, and that kind of got us thinking about like, well, who could it be that Wabo would justify that teasing? And obviously, this kind of delivers that perfectly. Yeah, because like we talked, we knew the Oni had to come back into this story, but I don't think I dared dream that it would be as concretely as this, where we'd get what sounds like one of the more radical, violent Oni. Yeah, it's great. Um, so yeah, Crooked Rook. Uh, first point called out, Crooked Rook is very actively and probably intentionally filling the gap that was left by Miss. And I mean, you could tinfoil mm. and say there's some real crazy shit going on here, like Crooked Rook is Miss or whatever. But <laughs> I, I just think it's very interesting that that's tangibly happening. And it makes me question what's going to happen if Miss comes back or has Miss's kind of role in the story been supplanted by Crooked Rook? I don't know. But I'm yeah, e- I, eager to find out. I, I'm I'm expecting Crooked Rook at least at first to maybe end up being some sort of dark mirror to Miss. Yeah. But do you remember in Arc One when we thought Miss was super creepy and suspect? Yeah. It's gonna be like that, but it actually happens, I think. It's gonna be like she is pulling strings. I mean, yeah, 
I don't know, because there's this chance, Lucy and Verona, are, well, particularly Lucy, is kind of like, I kind of like her. And mm. this was a thing for me where I was sort of like, okay, like there's a chance here. Because the Kennedys are also like on the Oni's side, like big picture. So there's a chance that they can win Crooked Rook over? Mm. Or is she too radicalized? Like, you know, yeah, is it? it yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Like, I, I feel like it's going to be a thing. They're going to try and win Crooked Rook over, and I think it's either going to work or, or Crooked Rook's going to be Disastrously not work, yeah. Yeah, she's been too hurt. She's too, like, she's not going to be able to let go of that past, and I'm not going to blame her that much, but I'm also going to hate her for what she's doing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it is such an interesting vibe that we explicitly get Lucy saying, and Verona, because, of course, Verona would say this, being like, what, I like this character i like them i think we're gonna get along with them like explicitly Mm. which i think is so wild and i love it yeah but like they are practitioners and even if they're the good ones like crooked rook may not be able to see past that fact i mean that that happens um yeah uh i i I don't know i'm so keen to see where this goes i feel like i feel like crooked rook is either going to sort of be this dark mirror to miss who who ultimately corrupt or tries to corrupt what miss was going for uh or she will have this moment where she's like oh you know these girls are genuine and trying Mm. we'll see yeah we will have to see um worth noting uh she is sponsored by mariska and gillamay which is i don't know Mm. gives me weird vibes like i don't know what it is it's not as bad i guess as mariska and edith but it's like (laughs) just just gives me weird vibes like something's going on yeah, no, I was, I had the same thing. I was like, what are you, like, both the fairy? Like, yeah, like, this must trust, be something, right? Yeah, if anyone's going to do some fucky bullshit with their sponsor, it's going to be one of these two, like, uh, to give her both of them. I mean, like, the concern for me, honestly, at this point is from the way Crooked Rook's been hyped up, how much is she going to turn these two? Mm. Um, I'm worried. I think Gilamay might be safe because he's old enough and, and close enough to wintering. I'm actually worried about how Marissica will bounce off Crooked Rook because Crooked Rook is someone who seems to specialize in humans and practitioners, and that's Marissica's weakness. And is Crooked Rook able to use that against her? Mm. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it's great setup for mm-hmm. us heading back to Kennet, right? Uh, these two new other info dumps are so fucking fantastic as setups for, yeah, as we head into going back to town. Like, I'm so incredibly hyped to meet all about these new others with these impressions we've had of them. Mm. Can't wait. So yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and that ends the chapters for this week. But it doesn't end our show, because before we finish, we're going to dive into some pale predictions, predictions made by our community uh, left in our pale predictor spreadsheet, which you can find linked in the show notes down below. But first, Elliot, do you have a pale prediction that you want to pull out? Yeah. Uh, I've pulled out a prediction from Our Apocalypse, who uh, predicts that the Carmine Beast's murder reflects Alexander's death. The motive was because the Carmine Beast had become corrupt and was about to enact a morally reprehensible act of justice, probably against Kennet or one of the Kennet others. Thus, Matthew plus Edith plus whoever else was involved were forced to arrange her death in order to save Kennet itself. Um, which I, I, I like as an idea. Um, I, I feel like mm. this would be fitting because I think we've talked a bit about how Bristow 
and what happened with Bristow could relate back to Kennet, but I love this idea of tying Alexander's death back to Kennet. Like, was this something that they did, yeah, to protect themselves or to stop her from doing something awful to someone else? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. 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 Yeah, I like it. I like it. What would the corruption be? What would what would the equivalent threaten threatening and and kind of going off the rails of the common beast have been? Like maybe ruining the town setup? That's maybe justifiable. I mean, it almost feels like it has to be something longer term because wasn't Yolda pointed at the Carmine Beast like a decade ago or was like at least set up as a failsafe to take out the Carmine Beast at some point? But it's like, you know, this wasn't seemingly... The impression we got at the end of Arc 3 was that Yolda, or that the Hungry Choir's goal had been to take out the Carmine Beast the whole time. So Yeah, but... Like, if it was something that was set up so far in advance, it's kind of wild that it's still secret, right? Because if this was a, like, oh, the Carmine Beast is a threat and we need to prepare for it so far in advance, surely, for example, the judges would have some ideas about what this, like, who the, the, the main suspect would be from that, right? Um, yeah. I mean, and that hasn't seemed to be the case. Probably not. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just, that's my memory of how Arc 3 ended, was that it was heavily implied that the Hungry Choir had sort of been left to grow and take out the carmine beast at some point in the future mm. so it was like 10 years ago at least that was the plan was to murder the carmine beast so if our apocalypse is right and alexander's death ties into it then it's sort of like how what what could the carmine beast have been doing to the region that necessitated something like this that whole time mm. or, or yeah. potentially maybe is the, is the hungry choir like representative of alex maybe it's the opposite maybe this is that bullshit. Like they wanted to have something in case the Carmine Beast did something, mm. and, yeah. And then the Carmine Beast did something else that forced its hand. Like, what if the Hungry Choir was actually set up in like fucking defend the territory mode just to keep the Carmine Beast out? I could see it, and and thus it was self defense as a pretty good yeah. justification. Yeah. Well. Uh. Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. We we shall see. What well, What have you got for us? Um, my prediction is very straightforward. Uh. Avery will use the escape key to bring Miss back to Kennet, which, straight to the point, very simple. We know Miss has been looking for a way back that doesn't kind of define her as much. We've just found a thing that literally is used to bring you back home. I like it. This was from a lapsed classicist, by the way. Yeah, I, I do like that. I like it because I want Miss to come back, especially if especially if, with as Crooked said, Rook now. Yeah, yeah, that dynamic got must of, be so fun. Yeah, if we've got a dark mirror for Miss to bounce off of now, and kind of challenge her easy because at the moment i feel like if miss came back the council would kind of be like yep take the reins again like <laughs> um so to have someone like crooked rook get her feet in with p- some people like marissa and stuff and start actually making it less easy for someone like miss like that could be very fun mm. yeah yeah definitely so yeah I'm, I'm all for anything like this that is an excuse to bring miss back yeah for sure um, I hope it happens. I think Miss's dynamic with Crooked Rook will almost certainly be delightful. Yeah. Um, so, almost time for the end of our show, Elliot, but first, time for a discussion question. We didn't have one last week, but this time we do have one. Our discussion question is, discuss how exciting Pace is going to be. <laughs> no, that's a joke. We'll you talk about even, Pace in a moment. You couldn't even make it through the delivery. I couldn't, I couldn't. <laughs> um, we've been introduced to a bunch of new Kennet others, and obviously the question to be asked is, if lines are drawn, where are these kind of others going to fall? And so the discussion question we wanted to bring was, 
which new Kennet others do you think are under or will be under the sway of our Carmine murder culprits? Yeah, which is just our, our way of kind of, yeah, turning that general discussion topic of where do you think the new Kennet others stand into something that's a question. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we've speculated on our opinions on this a fair bit this episode, but I want to hear what uh, things we missed or what other opinions people have. Mm. So yeah, hit us hit us with those hot takes on what you think these new Kennet others are gonna are gonna be uh, when the final conflict comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm excited to read them. I'm excited to hear how uh, Jabba is gonna play into the final showdown, especially. <laughs> Um, but... I can't. I can't wait to. I can't wait to dive into what. Yeah, again, what I assume is eight dot x tomorrow. Yes. Be so good. Who do you think we're going to get? Do you want to call, make a call? Who's the interlude from? Yeah, we don't do this enough. We should really try and nail in uh, interlude predictions. I think I'm going to stick with my potentially like you know high risk, high reward strat of thinking it's going to be one of the Kennet uh, parents, Kenneteer parents. Interesting. Maybe not Jazz, because she already kind of had that other thing. So maybe like Avery's mom. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I want to say Matthew. I keep My, my brain yeah. keeps going to Matthew, but that's the easy guess. And whenever I've tried that in the past, I've been wrong. I think it's almost certainly going to be a Kenneth other, if not one of those ones. Remember we got that interlude that was like, we got like mini interludes from three or four of the Kenneth others? Yeah. Possibly yeah. something like that. Um, if I had to pick one, I would pick one of these new ones. I think we'll get a bit of a look at one of them. And I think the one that seems most likely is Liz, just as a bit of like, here's what she's actually like, you know, uh, which yeah. I think would be interesting. Or Ken I'm just thinking, might be fun yeah. too. We've had very few interludes from others is just something I'm thinking. About. Yes, like, it's true. I think we've had snowdrops. Is that it? Uh, oh, and the 5.D, which is yeah. like a bunch of Canada. No, I think so. Yeah. So like, that's why I... I feel like a human just seems more likely. And I also think we've just had all this stuff prepping us for like these two extra materials have been prepping us for the other, the other side of coming back to Kennet. I feel like we almost need something that's going to prepare us for the personal side. Mm. So maybe a bit of a, yeah, maybe a bit of an older Kennet's parents one, like a, a round Robin do Verona's mum, Yeah. Avery's we mom, kind of do need to check in on how all the like parent threads are going. Right. Especially Verona's yeah. dad and the kind of hangover from uh, the f- or the fallout from Avery's almost coming out, I guess. Maybe. Oh, oh maybe. Because didn't they say at the end of the Can We Talk About the Girls that they wanted to do it again? So yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll get Can We maybe, Talk About the Girls too. Yeah. And, and they'll f- push further on the Matthew Edith thing. Mm. Maybe, maybe they're not going out for dinner for the second one. Maybe they figured out where Matt and Edith live and they're going to confront them. Oh, that would be interesting. Um, if you have thoughts, you know the th- the three parents. So the four parents having dinner with Matthew, having Edith, a barbecue with Matthew and Edith. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you have thoughts about who the interlude is going to be from the perspective <laughs> of, you should leave them in our discussion thread, or just general thoughts about these uh, this episode or these chapters in general. Discussion thread will be linked in the show notes down below. Uh, yes, you can also uh, leave us a review. Uh, we don't mention this one often on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever. Um, the the algorithm loves reviews even more than like five star ratings. It loves it when you leave word messages. So uh if you can, please do. Um actually speaking of all those services as well, uh this week we also did just publish Deep Impact a- again as its own separate feed. Um so Deep Impact until now has lived underneath Power Reflections in this same feed. Um, but it's now available separately. So if you if you want to 
dive into Pact in its own feed, uh, that's available. Yeah. Um, speaking of new feeds, Elliot, should we announce our new show? I mean, if you're on this feed, you probably have already heard it because you might have got the combined feed version where we released the Pace teaser. But yes, Pace, which is a show that we uh, decided to do after a donation tier reward during our All Packed Up live stream, is finally coming out. First episode coming out next Wednesday, the 10th of February. Yeah, so about four days after this one. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, that that's very much Ruben's baby, but I will say as a player, I've had an incredible amount of fun recording it. It play. has been fun, hasn't it? It's been yeah. real fun. Uh, it, it's For those of you not in the know, it's an actual play podcast, so we're kind of doing a, uh, a, a tabletop uh, role-playing game that is set in a theoretical future of the otherverse. Um, you can listen to the teaser at doofmedia.com if you want more information. First episode coming out on the 10th so you can subscribe to it or just if you're subscribed to the combined feed you'll get it anyway so i guess skip those episodes if you don't want it but you should <laughs> listen to it i'm sure it'll be fun yeah and, and so obviously like we wouldn't have had the equipment or like software yes. to make something like pace of reality without people donating uh to our patreon or things like uh, commissioned art which this has yeah which is absolutely beautiful and you can get a preview of it if you uh head to the teaser or just check out the discord icons of Elliot and myself because <laughs> they are now pace. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. So none of that would be possible without our patrons. So patreon.com forward slash do for media if you, you know, want to keep us trying to do cool stuff like this, because it's it's only through the, the support of those patrons that we're able to. Yes. And even more so than it not being possible without our patrons, it wouldn't be possible without Wabo's patrons. <laughs> yeah. So if you uh if you haven't yet, it's it's come on. It's time. Head over to patreon.com forward slash wabo and give him your support and your love fiscally because he deserves it, you know? He just deserves it. Absolutely. And with that, it's the end of our show. So we'll see you <laughs> on Wednesday for the first episode of Pace. Or if you don't listen to that, but you should, we'll see you in a week for our next episode talking about the Liz interlude, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> see you then. See you then.